cricket is coming and it's time for a bat. We're going sub some bodies and we'll have a good laugh. Hello and welcome to episode 29 of Get It Whacked, the Macclesfield Cricket Club podcast. Over the coming weeks and months, we intend to go behind the scenes of Max CC and meet some of the players and characters at the club, find out some things about them you never knew or most likely never wanted to know, and above all, hopefully have a few laughs along the way. Macclesfield Cricket Club is grateful for the continued support of our various sponsors. Today's featured sponsor is Burns Garage. Burns Garage are a local car dealership specialising in Ford cars. They also provide car servicing with clients including the chairman himself. Their team of experienced staff have a wealth of knowledge and would be delighted to help you find the right car. They also very kindly donate £50 to the club for every car purchased by a member of Macclesfield Cricket Club. So if you are looking for a new car and want the satisfaction of excellent customer service, look no further. Without further ado, I would like to introduce today's guest. To say this individual has a long and rich history with Macclesfield Cricket Club would be an understatement. A man of many roles, he's been first-team stalwart, opening bowler, fluent batsman, head of academy, coach, and just about everything in between. To say he's had an influence on many of the best young cricketers the club has produced, probably doing him a disservice. Ladies and gentlemen, Mr Stuart Garnett. Alfie, how are you? Good, thanks, Miles. Yeah, very good. Excellent. Really good to have you on the podcast to to talk about all manner of things, uh, both cricket, some coaching, and uh, lots of things in between, I'm sure. But uh, first question is, how, how have you been doing during the lockdown situation? Uh, we're coming out of that, back to cricket now, pleasingly. How's, how's everything your end? Yeah, well, the garden looks good, if nothing else. So I've managed to get quite a bit of that done while I've been on furlough leave. Um, got quite a few walks uh, done as well, which has been nice once furlough was lifted a bit. And also had a few good walks spoiled by carrying all the golf clubs around with me. So, yeah, pretty good overall. Are you, are you a reasonable golfer? What do you play off? Oh, no, definitely struggled to make 100, definitely. So just the odd good shot, but it's the inconsistency that is the annoying thing. You know, I just, I'll just duff several shots and then play a really nice 150, 200 yard iron. And you think, well, what did I do differently there? It was just the same. You'd think being a a bit of a coach, I might be able to work it out, but I, I have absolutely no idea. No idea at all. Well, I mean, golf, as far as I'm concerned, a, a silly, a silly, silly game. I'll yes. Stick it. <laughs> yes, definitely. Anyway, moving on from golf chat, would you want to tell us what you do when you aren't playing cricket? We're going to leave out your most current role because we're going to come back to that a little bit later. But yeah. OK, yeah. So um, for 30 years, I was an IT consultant for IBM and um, working for a number of different clients uh doing it related architecture uh that's pretty much all anybody would be interested in i think from from that side very very good indeed well uh we'll we'll not dwell on the 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 computers because i'm sure you're very keen to talk about cricket not not computers so moving on to cricket what would you say your earliest cricketing memories are um so i probably started pretty young my mum and dad were a huge influence like i know a lot of people have said on the podcasts and they were really, really supportive. And I remember I've got some photographs of when I would be six or seven playing on a caravan site at Flukeborough, which is up near Cartmel in Cumbria, where they do the, the races. Um, and lots of pictures of mum and dad um, playing cricket with me there. And uh, then I played for a number of clubs. I don't know whether you want the full history on that, but it's I've played for quite a few clubs in younger ages so if you want me to talk about that give us a flavor yeah okay i'll, I'll give you a flavor so when um, i started playing probably when i was about eight or nine and um, when we moved to blackpool when i was 10 uh, a, a friend across the road started taking me along to south shore cricket club and i started playing for their juniors there and scoring for their third team and then from there, I probably played for them for a couple of years. I started playing my first junior games there. And then because it was about eight or nine miles away, and this guy was taking me through all the time to do the scoring and everything, we thought we'd find somewhere closer. So I started playing for a team called Comrades, who were a local team in Poulton-Lefile, just outside Blackpool. 
And I played for them for a couple of years. And that's the first time they'd had any success. So not because of me arriving as a 13-year-old, I think, by then, but uh, just because we happened to attract a load of good players. And it was a real eclectic mix of players as well. It was quite strange. A lot of guys that played once a week but weren't great cricketers but just enjoyed it. Uh, a few really burly farmers from the local farm areas around Blackpool uh, who could really hit it, proper blacksmith village green stuff, but, you know, good, good, decent players. And then they also pulled in two or three lads who were at Arnold School as well in their first team, uh, especially for the weekend games, and they really were good players. So it was a really eclectic mix of people and a couple of youngsters like me and uh, yeah they won the, the league cup for the first time it was the lowest level of cricket in Blackpool at that time so it was, a, it was a low league but it was still a great experience and then I had a couple of years with them and then decided to try and move up a level so I joined Fylde who were also based in uh, Tolton uh, just outside Blackpool uh, in the Palace Shield and again very fortunately for me I happened to join at a time when there were a lot of very good youngsters coming through and also they were recruiting a number of very good players and for the first time in, I think it was 100 years for Fylde, we won the league and the cup while I was with Fylde. And that went really well. And I stayed with them all the way through to going to university and coming back from Lancaster Uni to play for them at the weekend for a couple of years. And then eventually, because that was quite a bit of travelling, I didn't really want to do that all the time, I, uh, I joined Lancaster Cricket Club and I started playing with them uh, through some of the summers in the Northern League. So that was my that was my next move, and then when my first job brought me down here after uni, that's when I uh, arrived at Macclesfield. Very good indeed. So when would you say you first became involved with Macclesfield? What sort of age or years, if you like? Uh, so it would be nineteen ninety. So that would I would have been twenty five, and the first year that I came, I was still back at Lancaster. Sal was still finishing her last year at uni up there, and that's where we'd met. So I was still travelling back to see her at weekends and, believe it or not, playing cricket for Lancaster at the weekend as well while I was up there. So how much time I was actually seeing with her. Uh, and actually seeing her, you'd have to check with her, but probably not that much. It was probably still playing cricket. But then after I'd done that for a year, she'd finished there. She moved down to Didsbury. So uh, I decided I'd play full-time for Mac. So I, I, I trained with Mac for 1990, that's all, and then joined Mac in 91, properly playing under Steve Moores uh, with uh, people like Alan McInnes behind the stumps and uh, really, really enjoyed it. Great, great first season. Unfortunately, I broke my thumb uh, about halfway through that season, I think. So I got about half a season. So my first full season was 92, which was the first year Chuck was here. Indeed, you've uh, amazingly, I always say this with people, uh, they just sort of segue into my questions and I, I, I never share the format with, with people because I, I don't want them to come up with any sort of uh, contrived pre preconceptions about the questions. So it's all, um, as you can, you can clarify to the listeners, this is all for the first time. All that being said, um, my next question was to be, you were heavily involved, um, especially between the 1992 and 1993 seasons. You've alluded to that was the time that Chuck was in the club and we've heard lots and lots of great stuff from him um, and others. But I thought it'd be interesting to get your take on on what it was like to be at the club, especially in that sort of history, record-breaking, double-double season. Yeah, I, I think Chuck said in his podcast that he gradually brought in quite a change. Well, not really gradually, quite quickly brought in quite a change in terms of the philosophy, I think. Um, I think he was obviously instrumental in us winning the League and Cup not just because of the runs he contributed and the way he was behind the stumps, but his general attitude and manner of playing cricket. And it made us a lot more professional. We trained very hard. I remember a couple of occasions where I think our weekday practice night was rained off. And whereas normally, just be a quick phone round saying, that's it, we're off, there's nothing going on. Uh, he would uh, mandate Towley to get somewhere indoors booked and we'd have a practice session indoors. We, we just find a way to get training done. 
he he certainly said that he felt that obviously when he uh, he arrived at the club i'm paraphrasing here but i think he said something along the lines of he discovered that people were far more interested in practicing uh, drinking pints than they were in practicing cricket i mean obviously i can't say that's probably one of your uh, great fortes alfie but um as a, as a man who is very much um keen on training and and, and all things practice um i i dare say that must have been a, a really pleasing revelation for someone like yourself yeah, it probably helped for me. As you probably know, the the external side of the cricket is something that is nice, but is not anywhere near actually playing for me. It's it's the playing and the practicing that's my my, my main interest, I suppose. Uh, I suppose every team needs a whole mix of people, you know. So that's that's fine. But uh, yeah, it, it certainly helped, and he helped me an awful lot as well, Chuck, in terms of instilling the right um, attitude and confidence in me. Uh, and the rest of the team were great as well. I mean, I, I felt very, very welcome at Mac. I would never consider um, going anywhere else to play my cricket. Uh, it's a great bunch of people and, and always has been all the way through. And uh, I think the people that won that 92 and 93 championship and, and the cup, you know, I hope will be good friends forever. Uh, you know, great, great times. Absolutely great times. Very good. And uh, one one more thing that, that Chuck mentioned that obviously pertains very much to yourself. Um, he said that um, one of his sort of fondest memories is is not necessarily doing the double-double, but it was the fact that in the second year, the team managed to win the League Cup um, whilst he was unable to play. Um, and I thought it'd be really interesting to get your thoughts about, firstly, how the team approached going into that Cup for the second year with, without Chuck and, and indeed, um, you know, what that was like and, and the accomplishment of, of doing that. I, th- I think it was both years, actually, that we won the Cup because the Cup was a lot bit different in those days. The way that they did the Cup in 92 and 93... I think I'm right in saying uh, the top four teams in the league were were the the semi-finalists in the Cup. So it took place at the end of the season um, in the next weekend. The last weekend of the season in those days was a doubleheader of of the league. And then the following weekend was the top two teams. First played fourth, second played third on the Saturday. And then the two winners of that played in the final on the Sunday. I think it was Boddington's that sponsored it at that time. So I think in both of those years, I think Chuck had gone back. I might be wrong, but I think so. And in both of them, we won. And I suppose as a team, it was always a challenge without Chuck. There wasn't very often that we had to score runs without him. But when the odd occasions when he did fail, somebody usually clicked in. I would say our team, for many, many years, probably all the time that I played at Mac, there were only a couple of what you call out-and-out batters. There was usually the Australian, uh, the, the overseas. And in 92 and 93, uh, there was a guy called Kim Graham, who was at King's School. And Kim was an exceptionally good player. Uh, he'd come through King's. I think in 93, he went off to Durham Uni, but he came back in the second half of the season. And Kim was, a, was an excellent batter. Uh, back in 1991, I think, he'd uh, been the top uh, school run scorer in the public school area for the whole of the country or something like that. So Kim was an excellent batter. He was an out-and-out batter. So there was Kim and Chuck in 92 and 93. And then as the years went on, Kim's role sort of, we got Mike Reed coming from Bramall and Reedy was, again, a, a really good batter. The rest of us, we could all bat all the way down, but you could probably swap the order around any way you liked and it wouldn't have made any difference because we could all, we were all capable of getting 20s and 30s pretty regularly. Now again, now and again, the odd 70, 80, so on. But really, I mean, you could have swapped it around. So I think if you look at the old scorecards, you'll see plenty of people who opened the batting and also batted 9, 10, 11 uh, a few weeks later. It really was that mixed. And uh, I think for those two cup finals, um, there were three or four of us that made runs um, at, at various times. So the middle, if, if, the, if the top order failed, the middle order would come in and, and somebody would get a 30 or a 40 somewhere. And again, I think the legacy of Darren really helped us in terms of getting a really great team spirit. And we just felt by that time we got used to, to winning. And it just carried on. We just pushed each other and uh, somebody always came along and delivered the goods. 
And I think it was different people all the way through. Uh, if you look at the semi-finals and finals of those two games, I think probably different people played key roles all the way through to, to help us win those games. One of the things you mentioned there is obviously you are now able to look at the, the scorecards um, pretty comprehensively from, from both of those years. And I believe I'm right in saying that's uh, in no small part thanks to yourself. Um, did you... Am I right in saying you uploaded all of those sort of after the the Chuck podcast? Well, I was trying to get them on there before the Chuck podcast so that you had all those stats to to get there. But yes, um, I've got the newspaper cuttings right back from 92 to 2002. So I've tried to upload all of those on there with varying success because the, the Express used to print the whole of the scorecard for the first couple of years. And then after that, it was just a report. So it's not quite as accurate with the later years, unfortunately. But I'd like to be able to work out where those school books have got to and maybe uh, maybe get them all in there properly and then people can go back and see their performances and, and uh, just reminisce. Absolutely. Well, I, I'm sure I, I thank you on behalf of uh, lots of people for, for doing that. It is a pretty painstaking process, um, but very, very worth it, especially for, you know, two standout, um, sort of record-breaking seasons for the club. Um, just before we move on from from that particular uh, two-year time frame, um, I thought it'd be interesting to to get your take on uh, Towley Andrew Towel, obviously who was a cap- who was the captain for both of those years. Um, I saw Towley uh, yesterday at Old Edge Cricket Club. He was there watching our under 19s play uh, Oldley under 19s, and he seemed in uh, very good form. And um, I'm pleased to say he's he's going to be making an appearance on the podcast in in due course. But um, up, uh, as a bit of a precursor to that i thought it'd be interesting to to get your you know your thoughts on on andrew tal the cricketer and, and andrew tal the captain um it was an experience being with Tally as captain and i'm uh, probably glad i wasn't a youngster coming through at that time um no Tally Tally was a was a good captain and i don't know how he managed to keep going because Tally, you know he's got this um this uh, artificial leg practically so whenever he used to play cricket, he used to have to strap his, his knee up. Uh, otherwise, I think he would probably collapse into a couple of uh, pieces. And he was a very, very useful bowler. Uh, I think Darren took the mickey out of him a little bit in terms of his pace. But he was very, very difficult to play. He's got strange action and uh, and, and just the ball never, never arrived. And he had some really useful spells for us as well. So useful very useful with the uh, with with the ball and could be really effective with the bat now and again as well so yeah um Towley and Darren were uh, were quite an interesting partnership and that their 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 major stories i guess were a lot were, were told by uh, by Chuck when he was on his podcast and some of their uh, after play activities uh, which are probably more interesting and probably I missed out on completely. I would have thought Miles, I'm afraid. <laughs> well, I think, um, you know, some stories are, are best left untold. And uh, that's perhaps all we'll say on that for now. Um, but it's, no, it's great great to get you, you know, your thoughts and, and, and relive some of those uh, sort of experiences with, with both Chuck and, and Towley. And as I say, look forward to welcoming Towley onto the podcast in, in due course. Moving on from from that those particular two seasons, um, obviously, you know, you went on to have, as I, as I said in your introduction, a long career that is yet to finish um, as you've already played one game this year at the earliest opportunity and uh, played several times last year and, and indeed most of the years prior to that but um, the one thing I did want to focus on a little bit is your uh, your time with Cheshire and just wanted to ask you first and foremost how did that come around and you, you know your initial selection um, and your experiences indeed playing sort of minor county cricket so um, I guess because of the wickets I'd taken in 92 and 93 and I got my first call up I think it was the end of 93 uh, by Cheshire and I had to go out to Colwyn Bay to play against Wales just got one call that year and then the following year it was a Sunday morning I just had a game on the Saturday and I remember a call at about half past seven in the morning from Ian Cobain the skipper asking me if I could get out to uh, New Brighton as quickly as possible because we were playing Shropshire and they'd have the late cry off. So, of course, yeah, definitely jumped in the car, got out there um, and had a really good debut. Actually got nine wickets on on debut uh, across the two innings. Uh, and we, uh, we, we ended up holding on desperately for a game we should have won easily. 
Uh, but then I got quite a few uh, goes after that in the team. I was never a, a regular in the Cheshire side, but uh, in and out, I was sort of a fringe player, really. So I played until 99. And uh, yeah, it's some some good times being away, uh, especially in those days. They were all two-day games and used to travel to do a joint fixture. So if you were playing Devon and Cornwall, for instance, you, you'd spend four days away, two days in Devon, two days in Cornwall, uh, likewise with a number of, of the other locations. And it was only the close sites that were quite close to you, the counties that were close, like Shropshire, that you'd, you'd, you'd do a, a two-day game and come back the same day, uh, the day after, sorry. So um, yeah, so great times in hotels. Uh, people like... Uh, Nigel Peel, who sadly passed away now at Bowden, was was a really good uh, good mate in the Cheshire side, a top bowler, um, lots of lots of other good players that that I played with during that side as well. And uh, I don't think we we never had um, any wins in the minor counties championship. Unfortunately, we never we never won the championship while I was playing. But uh, yeah, some. Uh, some good, some good times. Some good times, and I dare say some some pretty competitive cricket. Um, did you did you come up against anyone that then then went on to to play at a higher level and and you know fully professionally or indeed internationally? The the one time that I, I did, I think throughout, but the one time that really stands out is the only List A game I ever played, which was the Atlas Trophy. And um, I can't remember which year it was, but we were playing Northamptonshire uh, in the first round, and like the minor counties clubs always used to do, used to go down and get a bit of a thrashing from the big boys, which is pretty much what happened. I think we got beat by nine wickets, but went down to Wantage Road at Northampton, um, stayed overnight the night before. And John Bean from Alderley and also played for Bowden, the op- uh, opening bats, was giving me a lift to the ground. And a couple of cars in front at the roundabout, those Kirtley Ambrose, and John shouts out, Kirtley, show us where the ground is. So Kirtley puts the big thumb out, out his window and we follow Kirtley into the ground. And then we're, we're playing against North Hans and they had Kirtley, obviously, but also they had a guy called Paul Taylor, left armour, who opened for England for a few years. Uh, David Capel, uh, David Ripley was the keeper. Uh, John Embury had left Middlesex then. He was in his latter years. He was seen at his final years with North Hans. Uh, so they they had a they had a pretty good side, and um, the, the the difference in terms of the the quality and the speed of of the play from being a professional to being a good amateur was was very obvious. So we had an opening pair of Paul Bryson, who was the league's leading run scorer that year, uh, and John Bean. And Bryce was a was a quality bat. I think he got a thousand runs in quite a few seasons in the county league. And I remember the very first over, Kirtley bowled to him. About the third ball, Bryce pushed forward to play a defensive shot. The ball hit the bat as it was on its way down, bounced in the popping crease and bounced back onto his stumps, clean bowled. So Kirtley was probably coming in about 80% and just flicking his wrist and the ball was flying out. And then Beanie edged one through the slips. It went for four off Kirtley. And I think he went up straight away and apologised for hitting him for four. <laughs> so that, that was quite amusing. <laughs> and the thing that struck me, I suppose, was... Even the journeyman pros that were playing for Northampton those days all were quicker than most of the things I'd seen before and also did something with the ball. So they, they nipped it around, they moved it off the scene, you know. And I think we were bowled out in the end for about 130. And then when it was our turn to bat, um, when it, when it, sorry, yeah, we bowled out for about 130. I went in, I think, at number nine. And um, I... The, the wicket to get me in there went the last ball of the previous over. So I was up the non-strikers end when I went in. John Andrew was bowling and he proceeded to take a hat-trick in the next over and I never faced the ball. <laughs> so my list A career is uh, zero, zero not out, but didn't face a ball. And then with my bowling, uh, they knocked them off for one. I think I came on first change. First two overs were okay, and then my third over, I think I went for about 15, and that was it. I was never seen again. So we we, we got we got well beaten, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, it, it, the the difference between amateur and professional is is I, I I saw it that day, very obvious. Yeah, I I can but imagine. Now I must ask you this question, and I've no doubt you'll give me an honest answer, um, knowing the kind of fierce competitor that you are. But also, you're a very sensible man. Um, 
Given the opportunity, would you have faced Kirtley Ambrose? Oh, definitely. Yeah. Yeah. No, no question. No question. Yeah, I'd have given it a go. I'd have given it a go. I'm, I'm not sure how well I'd have fared, but uh, I'd have given it a go. It's it's little wonder to me that your uh, your your opening batsman colleague uh, apologised for his nicking him for four because I dare say the next ball probably was three yards quicker, um, and that's even with an apology. So, <laughs> I think I, re- I remember a story of um, the year before they played Gloucestershire, and again got beaten quite heavily, and um, one of the the, the, the tailing batters at the time. Uh, had gone in about nine or ten, and Courtney Walsh was bowling. And the first ball he faced from Courtney, he pushed forward and played a defensive two. And Courtney had a chat with a non-striker and said, "Tell him not to do that again. <laughs> Tell him you're not coming forward on the front foot to me, you know." And, and he actually went down and had a word with the batter and said, "No, don't don't do that. <laughs> Get on the back foot." And these are even on the uh, some of the the pudding English wickets we play on. Um, can you imagine facing those those boys back in the day on West Indian pitches? Yeah, and some people without helmets in the earlier years as well. I don't know. I don't know how anybody did that. Were you wearing um, Were you wearing a helmet at this time? That's, that's... Oh yeah, you yeah, were. I'm not that old. Thank goodness. Yeah. yeah, yeah. You know, of course, helmets weren't you know brought in uh, mandatory for juniors until I don't even remember when. Yeah, but by, by this time, everybody's wearing helmets. Yeah, so I think it was. Yeah, it was. This, I think that, that West game would have been about 98, 98, 99, I can't remember which, 98. And were there many helmets knocking around 1992, 1993? Uh, yeah, I think so. Yeah, yeah. Okay. I can't when I first got my first one, but I'm pretty sure. I'm pretty sure we all had helmets pretty much. Alfie, looking at your uh, kit, I'm pretty sure you still own your original helmet. I, I probably do. It's a PS. So <laughs> PS have been gone for years like my bat. So yeah, my, my equipment is now aging carrying on aging i'm hoping it'll end up in a museum somewhere you know? <laughs> i think there's a, a very good uh, high likelihood but i think it does go to show that they uh without wishing to sound like an old fart um they they don't make things like they used to and bats bats from back then are, are made in a very very different way <laughs> Yeah, they probably don't. No, they probably don't. They're probably a lot better though now in terms of the speed off the bat. I would have thought. Yeah. Well, you look at the um, you look at the Isherwood brothers who who both still proudly use uh, Hunts County bats that were, you know, made years ago, and and they used to go down to the factory and and pick out what they wanted. But you know, your modern day bat, you're lucky if you get a couple of seasons out of it. John John Birchall at the uh, the weekend strolling out to to face Bollington with half a bat. Um, for instance, having cannon the toe off it at uh, training. <laughs> anyway, I think that probably says more about Birchie than um, than your PS gear, Alfie. Yeah, possibly. Yeah. Thank you for your continued support of the podcast. Since the debut episode 14 weeks ago, we have amassed over 4,000 unique downloads from 14 different countries, including one very dedicated listener from Sweden. To say the podcast has developed quicker than I ever thought it would would be an understatement. As such, I would like to offer listeners the opportunity to become more involved with the podcast by becoming patrons. The podcast is currently self-funded, and with your help, I would like to continue to develop the quality and content. For anyone interested in this, please visit patreon, that's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com forward slash get it whacked, or you can find a link in the description of the podcast. Thank you. Yeah. Well, look, I um I wanted to move on to talk about some some stats and a, and a couple of games, um, which I thought would be interesting. Um, and the uh, luckily, um, because you have added uh, quite a few bits of statistics from a few years, we've we've got a we've got a reasonable amount for you. We've certainly got a lot of games. I dare say it's by no means comprehensive. So usual caveat. Um, but I will sh- gladly give you your statistics for for what they're worth, which is that you have played two hundred and eighteen games with 151 innings, 37 not outs, scoring 3,616 runs, with a high score of 87 not out, averaging a very respectable 31, uh, with 17 fifties. Um, did you ever get 100? No. No, no hundreds. Never got 100. Never got 100, no. One of my regrets, never getting 100, yeah. Well, there's always the opportunity. I do remember there a partic- particularly fine 70 for the third team not so long ago. But, uh, yeah, we'll move on to the bowling. And, and I think it's fair to say, obviously, you, you consider yourself much more a bowler than a batsman. Um, though, uh, as your stats suggest, a, a more than handy and capable batsman. Um, do you sort of flirt with the all-rounder title or do you consider yourself a bowler? A bowling, bowling first. I would say bowling first, but I mean, I, I batted all the way up and down the order for Mac. I mean, I opened for a couple of seasons, so you know, it's uh, it's been everywhere in the order pretty much. 
Uh, I don't think I've ever been 10 or 11, but I've probably been as low as 9. Well, you, you just, just say the word next time you play for the third team, Alfie, and you can, you can experience the dizzy heights of double figures if you like. <laughs> I was going to say, I think, I, I think I've had more ducks with, with the thirds than I, I ever had with the, the firsts, to be honest. I, I don't know, uh, but uh, it's obviously a harder world out there in the thirds than, than it was in the firsts. In the old. I, I think it's really interesting that you say that because... Um, if you look, uh, the third team played a, a warm-up game uh, last weekend against Trafford Metrovics um, at at their place, and um, look, they've got a really lovely facility, but you know the the pitch wasn't great, shall we say, and, and the outfield had not really been um, mowed, so um, you know scoring shots were, were few and far between. But but the quality of pitches, um, especially in the third team league, and this is something perhaps you you can briefly talk about compared to you know when you're playing first team um is is quite huge and and obviously the caveat to that is that we are extremely fortunate at Macclesfield with Parkside and the wickets that that Jimmy and Paola prepare for us are are seriously better than than most other things we play on but I I guess when you you know latterly in your career when you come down to playing some third team which is always hugely appreciated um the difference in pitches when you when you turn up and play at someone else's ground and it's an absolute stinker of a pitch um and it comes through low and slow and sticky and you've got you know younger players who are bowling backwards at i i dare say that that must take a bit of getting used to and certainly rob porter for instance played played for us on saturday he was playing with brad playing with his son and and he he just couldn't get used to the the the, the bowling or the pitch, and it, it, he had a miserable time. Bless him. Um, did you did you find that when you first sort of started playing for for the third team? Or I guess it's natural, isn't it? Because the groundsmen are, are mainly going to focus on the first team wicket. Uh, you're not going to get as much attention paid to the third team wicket. We are lucky at Matt, I mean Jimmy and Paolo, and everybody else looking after the ground. Not all of the clubs, obviously, are as as lucky as we are. Um, yeah, so so you you've. It, you, you can get some real minefields, I know. We used to get the odd bad one with first as well, but usually after the bad periods of weather, um, it certainly wasn't the norm. Whereas I, I guess for the thirds, it's, it's, it's a lot more often that you get bad pitches like that, yeah. Well, it's, it's interesting as well, actually, because our third team now in the, in the league that we're playing in, we actually play against quite a lot of, well, predominantly are other people's second teams. So, I mean, they're second teams from smaller clubs. So instead of playing a, a club on a Saturday that has three teams and two pitches, we'll be playing clubs that have two teams. So we are effectively playing on their first pitch um, or their only pitch in some cases, yet <laughs> the, the standard can be, um, can be variable. Um, Still cool. Yeah, and it, it is something that I routinely remind some of our lads when they're when they're coming in and, and growing up and say, do not get used to playing on Parkside because um, it's an absolute Rolls Royce compared to say, you know, a cabbage patch at the back of Ermston or the the, the muddy boggy swamp down down the hill at um, Cheadle Hume. So uh... <laughs> yeah, I guess you've you've really got to be good on your shot selection, haven't you? I mean, yeah, if you're going to play shots and the ball's not coming onto the bat, it's it's going to be much more difficult it certainly is and i th- and i think it's it's uh maybe that leads into why you've got a few more ducks for the threes but um yeah i mean what, i'll i'll give you your duck statistic um which is well i mean to be fair alfie it, it says you've only got three ducks so <laughs> no I've, I've had a i've had a couple more than that but not many i know that i've got an awful lot of ones twos threes and fours though miles so uh, you know <laughs> I normally manage to get off the marks. What I would say is that given that you are the one that's put all the, the scorecards in, I'm sure you might have uh, left out that duck percentage. <laughs> right, moving on to the bowling now, Alfie. Um, you know, I went off at a bit of a tangent there, but but um, but yeah, coming back to it, obviously, you know, primarily a bowler, bowling all rounder. Let's maybe say. So uh, your bowling stats are as follows: you've bowled 1,485.3 overs. Um, taking 310 wickets with a best bowling of 7 for 39 um, and you've collected 17 five-wicket hauls. Your economy rate is 3.2, a strike rate of 28 and a very, very good average of 15.3. Anything sort of leap out at you from those stats over the years? I guess a lot of those were coming 92 and 93. I think uh, myself and Steve Moores both got 70 wickets both those two years. Um, so an awful lot will have come from then, and they were probably my my best years for my career, I suppose. For whatever reason, uh, the, the the wicket numbers dropped down quite a bit after ninety three, 
Um, so I was probably getting 30s then, that sort of number a year after that. Um, but yeah, um, I, I'm, I guess that um, being part of a, of a really good side as well helps an awful lot in terms of a lot of the balls that went up in the air. I think I, I got caught for me. So <laughs> a lot of the wickets, I guess, will come down to that as well. Yeah, well, I think I think you're uh, inevitably, and Anna's always being very modest. Um, the two things that really stand out for me: um, seventeen five wicket hauls. You know, that's uh, as as I've said before. You know, when you take five wickets or more, you you you're really doing a number for your team. So that's that's a great thing to see. And I think that average as well, fifteen point three, is um, yeah, that's 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 fairly respectable. I think we can we can both agree, Alfie. Yeah, I think it'll be um, overall, because as you said, there's still a lot of things missing from play cricket. It'll be more wickets, but the average will go up, I'm sure. Uh, I think, as I said, when I was putting in some of these, the, the results after probably about 94, 95, you've only got the report in the Mac Express. So if you haven't got any wickets, uh, you, you won't get, or only a couple of wickets, you won't have got a mention. So it's only only the main wickets, but there'll have been runs off me in those games that you won't see, and, and the same for the other bowlers who were bowling at that time as well. So the average is probably too low. It's, it's, I'm sure it's much higher than that is my bowling average, and the wickets are probably low as well. There's probably, probably a bit higher. I want to move on to talk about just a couple of games here. Um, the first is uh, from the Cheshire County Cricket League Premier Division, and this was the 6th of May 2000. Um, Macclesfield first team taking on Hyde first team. Um, Macclesfield won the toss and elected to bat. Um, and I don't have lots from the scorecard, but what I can tell you is that uh, the pro at the time, Ian Rigglesworth, batted number three and yourself number four that day. And you had a pretty sizable partnership because Ian managed to score 126 and you scored uh, 87 not out. So I, I just thought it would be great to get your you know, memories, um, if, if I can push you for them, on that particular game and indeed your innings. Yeah, so we're at Victoria Road and we were batting first against Hyde, who were a good side uh, in those days. Um, I think we lost a couple of wickets for about 30, uh, just less than 30, and myself and Riggles were together. And... From memory, I think I got dropped with a court and bowl when I got about 20 or something like that, and like my usual little 20 and then get out, but they put me down. And then Riggles was, it's just amazing when you play with somebody of that quality and they start hitting the attack all over, it just makes your life so simple. You know, you, and for some reason, I seem to remember, I think they pushed the field back for me as well. As I remember, so they had the field back for Riggles, and I don't remember them pulling it in for me. So he was playing all the glorious, expansive shots, and all I was really doing was knocking it into a gap and running one. And it was it was so simple. I seem to remember it was just. I'm sure anybody could have got seventy or eighty odd with with Riggles batting with them. It just it, it just seemed like it was one of those days when we could have carried on batting forever. And I think we put on just over two hundred. Uh, as a partnership, and I think I think it was a I think it was a record at the time in, in the league, and uh, just very very comfortably indeed. Um, and I, I I didn't notice how well I was going myself, but I know the scoreboard was flying around. And yeah, just again because you're buying of somebody of that of that ability, then if you can get in with them and get going, and they get going, everything becomes. Uh, a lot simpler than it otherwise would be with fields round the bat and everything like that. Once they push the field back and you can just, you know, you can just get on the front foot and just pop one into a gap, that's it. And they, they did have a, a reasonably good side, but um, yeah, they, they just couldn't get a breakthrough. I think it was a good wicket as well that we were playing on. And uh, yeah, Riggles went on and made a, a superb hundred. I think he got quite a few that year. And that's the year, of course, that... Uh, we, we came so close, 2000. We, we weren't far away from the league again, I think, in that year. We were right up there for a long time after winning it in 99 and then just fell away a little bit at the end. And I think from memory, it was Bowden, I think, that, that won it that year. I could be wrong. I think it was Bowden. Um, so, yeah. Um, yeah, just a pleasure to bat with somebody who, who is that good and uh, being able to watch them demoralise the opposition and just take advantage of it and get a few runs at the side, yeah. 
Very good. Well, um, in the end, Macclesfield ran out winners, uh, bowling out Hyde for 144, with uh, Ronnie claiming a five for and, and four for Bod, um, and therefore, I think, a run out as well. So, a good win. Um, moving on to the next game, uh, Alfie, this was from the 28th of August, 1993. Um, and again, this is Cheshire County Cricket League Division 1. This is uh, a game that's already featured on the podcast um, because in this particular game, Macclesfield made 309 for three um, with with Chuck uh, going out and scoring 196 not out. And, and for those that listen to Chuck's podcast, the, the night before, him and Tarley decided it would be a great idea to phone the point and captain up. Um, and Chuck, in, in no uncertain terms, told him that he was going to make 200. Um and 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 famously <laughs> he nearly did um but that's not the reason we're, we're going to be talking about this game because as, as much as um, mac piled on the runs with 309 for three or 55 overs with chuck scoring 196 20 from danny ackerley uh 55 from steve moores and and yourself uh firstly we'll talk about in this game you ran out for six do you remember anything about the run out did uh... yeah i do yeah yeah so i came in right at the end uh and Darren was really pushing for his double ton and we were just trying to do everything we possibly could to get him double ton. So every time I think I, I went in and I faced just a couple of balls and I just hit one just trying to get to the other end. I think I was run out by about a third of the wicket, but it didn't matter. It got, it got him back on strike. So we were just all desperate to try and get into that, that double hundred. Well, very good. Um, as I say, Matt posting 309. Uh, in reply, um, Poynton uh, had a had a pretty tough time of it, I think it would be fair to say, um, with yourself claiming um, best bowling figures um, of seven wickets for 39 runs. Um, do you remember much about the, the the Poynton innings? Obviously, you took seven for... Not really. I remember more about us batting and Chuck's innings and the fact that it was against a quality attack. So at that time, Poynton were just... They were starting to really move towards the front of the, the better teams in the league. Uh, they ended up winning the league a few years later. But the papers the week before, I remember there'd been quite a bit of talk about, you know, it's a real top of the table match. This point in hadn't lost in for several games, several weeks before then. And um, they'd been on a really, really good run. And they had players the quality of Charlie Lamb, who was sharp bowler, who opened, uh, who opened for Cheshire as well. Uh, they had our own Simon Ackley, Bod, who's a very, very good bowler. And they had Dave Watkins as well uh, as the spin option, who was who was useful all rounder. Um, so th- they had a very very good bowling attack. They were confident. They hadn't been beaten for a long time. Some really good batters, Brian King and me in Middlehurst. Some very very good batters. And uh, yeah, I-, I think to be honest, Miles, they were they were totally demoralised after the uh, after we we batted because of course we you know they're chasing such a big score and uh, we just got on a roll. I remember very little about the wickets, I'm afraid. Um, No, I I can't remember very much about that. Totally, total demoralisation in one changing room, totally euphoria in the other at the end of it. I remember that. I think it was a big song that that day. I dare say it would have been. Um, Yeah, I'd I'd forgotten actually that that Bod was still playing for Poynton at that time. Um, Because I I think in the, in the, the fixture the year before, I think Bod had actually got Danny out. I'm sure he won't thank me for mentioning that, but um, yeah, a bit bit of a rivalry there. And and as I understand it, as as a few people have mentioned to me in in his uh, in his useful years, Bod was uh, pretty sharp. Yes, all all shoulder, really really powerful shoulders, very very sharp. And when he uh, was playing for us, uh, he got a load of wickets because uh, he could swing the ball away as well. So swinging the ball away, sharp sharp action, yeah. Very, very good player. Well, great to kind of focus on, you know, some of your achievements there and, and and your statistics and a couple of games, which is always really nice to hear about. But I think it's a good way to segue on to your other great passion in cricket. And I hope, um, you know, I can describe it as such um, with the coaching side of things. And, and for those that don't know, Stuart was for, for a number of years um, head of uh, the academy at Macclesfield um, and has has put literally hundreds if not thousands of hours into the development of of some of our you know best and brightest cricketers over the years um and it's it's little it's 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 by no means an understatement to say that that there are an awful lot of um young boys and girls who who owe a significant amount of their cricket to Stuart and I'm sure he'll be the first person to deny that immediately but um I'm going to say it for the record um now I told uh, I said on the podcast earlier about not sort of 
talking about your your most recent appointment and what you're doing for for work now but now i think is the appropriate time to talk about that so do you want to tell everyone um your sort of new position that you're unfortunately yet to really get your teeth into due to uh, to covid yeah so i'm working for cheshire cricket board now as a, a cricket development officer uh, for cheshire east um yeah, it, it's moved me from doing work for 30 years that I always enjoyed, but was always a means to an end to something that um, I can almost consider a hobby uh, and, a, and a real passion. Um, so it's something I've wanted to do for a long time. Um, but looking after the academy, uh, when I started, I think, in 2003, 2004, or 2003, sorry, it would be. Um, the academy was running under 11, under 13, under 15. And over the years, we managed to expand that to now include sevens, nines. Uh, obviously, we've got a, a 19s team at the moment. We've had an 18s and 17s team as well. Uh, and the number of players has gone up massively. Um, the, the main thing, to be honest, Miles, is making sure, was making sure that we, we had more coaches in and then once we got coaches in, I have to say that we've been very, very lucky at the club. We've had some really, really good junior coaches uh, for all the age groups, a lot of them being parents of, uh, of children that have come through the academy, but really caring people who wanted to to not just improve their own child, but a whole, whole group of players. And um, I think that's been one of the main successes, just getting those extra coaches in. Once they're in place and they've done the course and they get into it, if they've got the passion as well, then just leave them to it. You know that they've they've managed to get on with it. So I, I guess that was the main thing, just getting the, the right coaches in place. And then for the last probably uh, just the first two years was was just making sure that the right people were in place. And then after that, it, it's pretty much run itself. Um, and uh, just just keeping a hand on the tiller then from that. But yeah, we, we've been really, really fortunate. So many great coaches have come through. Uh, when I started, I was very lucky. Uh, Deepak Vishwanath, whose son came through, was uh, was coaching, just starting coaching. And he was a big inspiration as well in terms of uh, his philosophy. He got set up as well with um, uh, the head coach of the Karnataka Institute of Cricket out in India. Um, uh, if I'm site. and he came across and uh, taught some of the lads as well in those first couple of years so that was a big benefit to, to them and uh, that I think attracted other players as well in whose parents were, were, were dead keen and it's great that people just give back the time to, to, to trying to get the next generation coming through uh, that are inspired to play this great game that we've got really and that, that, to, me, that to me is the main thing um, and and I'm happy to say we've been able to do that with with an awful lot of, of kids over the years, and it's still great to see a lot of them around. And um, I think that the first team I ever took, I think back in, I think it was 2003, but I might have the year slightly out, uh, was an under 13 side, and that was comprised of Nipper, Alex Griffiths, uh, Pete Barron, Liam Markey. Uh, James McAndrew, who you'll, you'll probably probably know, Miles, uh, and a few others. I can't remember all the others. Joe Ikin was just after. Uh, so there have been a whole list of, of players that are still around at the club or have recently played for the club that have come through that junior structure. And uh, I guess that that's fantastic. Yeah, that's great for the club um you just mentioned there obviously about Deepak being a big inspiration to you and, and certainly his sort of philosophy on things and I thought it'd be really interesting to 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 well to ask you what your philosophy on on coaching is and you know everything that that goes with the, with the great game of cricket I love my cricket so much and uh, so I was inspired very much by my parents and um I, I, I just love to see youngsters coming through and enjoying the game and having fun and if they can be developing their game at the same time, especially if they don't realise they're being helped to develop the game, if they can just be having fun while they're doing it, then, then that's fantastic. Um, I, I think as well that the other thing I'd love to see is in another 10, 15 years when I'm not coaching anymore and I'm just coming along to watch a game of cricket, hopefully, um, we'll have a great Macclesfield first 11, second 11, third 11 out there on the field. That's what I really want to see. and. 
I, I guess my philosophy on that is there's only three ways that a senior team can improve. The first one is by getting in brand new players, which could come from either paying them and bringing them in or maybe in overseas um, or attracting players from other clubs without, without needing that. The second way is to improve the players that you've already got. So better ways of practicing, better ways of motivating and getting the best out of them. And the third way is by bringing juniors through. I mean, they're, they're the only three ways. And I think ideally you need a mix of all of those three things. But I would argue that possibly the most important for the good of the whole club going forward is the, is the third, is the third method. So just to see if, if I can in any way help to try and have Macclesfield as being a successful side in another 10, 15 years, that would be, that would, that would be brilliant. That's uh, really great to hear. And, and I think one of the things that we can take as a positive from, from this sort of bizarre curtailed season that we have is that we will be offering an awful lot of debuts to players and, and, and really blooding players through all three teams. And um, to have that opportunity to do so, whilst it doesn't make up for all the cricket we've lost and, and the loss of competitivity, if I can say it as such, but um, yeah, the ability to to, to expose um, lots of those young players to senior cricket is going to something that I think is really going to hold us in good stead moving forwards. Right, finally, um, just before we move on towards the end of the podcast, Stuart, um, wrapping up coaching nicely, I thought it'd be great to, to maybe just ask you for a couple of standout achievements um, or you know proudest moments you've you've experienced as a coach. Okay. Um... I think that the under-15s winning the the league, um, both with the side that was captained by Pete Barron uh, back in, when would that be, 2005, six somewhere around there. And then again, of course, with the Airheads uh, more recently. Uh, they've, been, they've been key things. I think, though, for me, anything where a young player who's come through from the academy does well in a game i mean that that's that's good enough for me or even if they even if they're still playing and they're really enjoying it i suppose is, is is probably more important still but yeah seeing seeing the young players that have come through the academy doing well in the senior sides gives me a, a big thrill always and um, and there's been a lot of those over the years and um, so so that so that's great uh, that that would be, I guess, that would be the the, the the proud bits where I think, wow, you know, that that's great. He's done so well, you know, it, fantastic. So moving on towards the end of the podcast, now, Stuart, um, the the tricky quick fire questions. I can't I can't let you leave without having a go at these. Um, so we're going to give you a whirl. I'm sure you you're ready, primed. Oh, I don't know about that. <laughs> so nickname Alfie. Oh, although I'm only known as Alfie at Mac. Did you know that? I don't know whether everybody knows that. Nobody else seems to call me Alfie. It, it's starting to catch on elsewhere, but largely just at Mac is. Do, I mean, I, I I should really ask you to 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 explain where this came from. Okay, so um, the older people among our your listenership, Miles, will know that uh, back in the nineteen seventies there was a sitcom uh, which I think was called Till Deathers Do Part which had an actor called Warren Mitchell playing a part called Alf Garnett. And it was a very popular sitcom. And I think everybody around that time that had a surname of Garnet was automatically called Alf or Alfie after that. Well, um, it's nice to hear that uh, the nickname is spreading further afield than the cricket club. <laughs> right, back onto the quick fire questions. Left or right-handed? Uh, left-handed, bat, right-arm, bowl. Bat or bowl? Uh, bowl. Fielding position? Uh, cover if my legs can still manage it. That, that's my, my one uh, concern, I guess, when I play at the moment is the standard of my fielding. Um, if I have to run for a ball and the, the, act of, the simple act of bending is, uh, is pretty much beyond me these days. Well, I'm afraid I'm going to have to disagree with you there because to, uh, to take the words out of Matt Cunningham's mouth, he said last weekend that you rolled back the years and, and pulled off two extremely good catches. So uh, I, I pulled off two catches that were hit hard but straight at me. I didn't have to bend. <laughs> Never one to make more of something, are you, Alf? <laughs> so, test or T20? 
Test. I, I think there's only Steve Whittingham, isn't there, that said T20 so far. I think everybody else has said test. Is that right? Oh, I'm just asking the questions, Alf. I, I can, can neither confirm or deny. Okay, mate. Okay. <laughs> Best cricketer you've played with? Uh, Chuck. I would have to say Chuck and Riggles. Yeah. Fastest bowler you faced? Can I tell a bit of a story on this one? Of course you can. So, um, fastest bowler I faced. Um, so, County League, mainly when I, I was playing, was more a spinner's league. So, I'd say out and out quicks, probably probably not that many. Um, I think that uh, Witters in his mentioned a guy called Phil Cotterell, who was at Crew for a while. He also played for Nantwich. He was probably about the fastest in the league. But I'd say that uh, indoors, off about 17 yards, Ronnie and Tatey are probably as quick as anything that I'd want to face. But I do have one story about playing against a team called the Cheshire Cats, which was a touring team that Towler used to have a hand in organising. Uh, they used to tour around all of the uh, uh, a number of areas and used to go on a tour every year. But they played Mac uh, one season. Towley Towley sorted it all out, and their side was a real mixture of players. So they got a few in from the local leagues. They had a couple of old lags who played cricket for years and years and years. And they had a couple of pros that would come in as well from various leagues like the North Staffs League and some of the Lancashire leagues. And playing them this time at Victoria Road, and I go out to bat, and I'm facing Otis Gibson, who at the time was playing for Glamorgan, West Indies, of course went on to be England bowling coach, South Africa coach, uh, head coach, and uh, West Indies head coach. And um, he was pretty sharp in the day. And I went out, and he's coming into bowl to me. And ball comes down and I, I, I flinched to, to try and play it. So when, when the ball gets to a certain speed, it tends to, you don't tend to move your feet anymore. It's just a, a reaction with your hands. And that's what happened. The ball clipped the edge of the bat and I turn round and it's flown for four and it's hit the boundary down at, um, at, at third man. And, uh, the, the amazing thing though was the two guys, there was a wicket keeper, uh, who I think used to play for Warwickshire in his youth, but was in his sixties. And Ken Stafford, who was the, the organiser of the Cheshire Cats, and Ken was probably in his 60s then as well, he's standing at first slip. And as I turn around and see the ball hit the boundary, Ken is still there in his first slip position, looking towards me, waiting for the ball to come. And the ball must have shaved his hair on the way down to the boundary as it hit the boundary. It must have just missed his head by a whisker as it flew down there. So it, Otis is probably... That that ball is the one I remember as being very sharp, but but uh, yeah, quite 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 amusing in terms of what happened with the ball after he bowled it. Yeah. Very very good. Um, back to the questions. Messiest in the dressing room? Uh, yours probably. Yep, he is. Um, he's a horrible man. Uh, longest in the shower? Probably me. I'm afraid. Yeah, probably probably okay. me. Okay. First thing on your plate at teas? Uh, fruit. Uh, always after bowling, I need something. I've, moisture's all gone in my mouth. I need need, need fruit, definitely. <laughs> Drink of choice. Uh, oh, ginger ale. Takeaway of choice. Fish and chip. Dance move of choice. Ah, now, well, Sal and I, you see, we do do a little bit of ballroom dancing. See, I did. I did know there this. is a particular. Yeah, there's a particular move in the foxtrot, which is called standing on your partner's foot. And I do that really, really well. <laughs> Very good indeed. Three dream dinner guests. Who are they? Uh, uh, now, uh, Johnny Wilkinson, Michael Palin and David Attenborough. Ah, very good. I've um, I've got a lot of time for those three. Alf, just before we wrap up the podcast, um, any aims for this season and indeed next season? Um, well, I wouldn't mind playing a little bit, but again, just seeing the juniors come through and uh, and hopefully they all they all have a good season and uh, continue to be successful. Uh, I, I know Yossi's doing a great job now with the with the academy, which is brilliant to see. Um, so if they can have some success as well, that, that would that would be fantastic. And uh, again, going forward for all the senior teams to be successful and um, keep keep bringing it on, keep thinking about the future as well and, and where the club's going. I know it's in good hands. And uh, we're very, very lucky, I think, to have a great committee and people who are, are really committed to the club like uh, like Simon 
to be able to run it all and yourself for all the work that you do for the for the threes as well and um, so just keep moving it forward in the right direction i know you are and uh yeah that would be that would be the main things brilliant um any closing remarks alf um i i suppose um just it's it's been a great club to be a part of uh looking back over the years um there's a couple of people that um i i really miss particularly christine i don't know whether you know a lot about chris who was our scorer for many years and one fact that a lot of people might not know and might be might be interested in is that up to the point where Chris passed away, which I think was the early 2000s, Mac had only had three first-team scorers since the Second World War. I didn't so, know that at all, no. Yeah, I think in those days, scoring was like um, a way of life. And I know Chris uh, and his wife, Marion, they never went away on holiday until after the last weekend of the season. So uh, <laughs> that was sacrosanct. You, you didn't go away in the season. And yeah, Chris always used to say there'd only been two scorers before him since the turn of the war, so they'd all done huge long spells. So people like that from the past as well, I remember that that, uh, that uh, bring a smile to my face whenever I think about them and uh, and uh, I very much missed. Uh, just everybody everybody else at the club that, that's been down there, just uh, it's lovely to see the club busy again uh, last weekend and uh Great. I just hope we just keep going from strength to strength. Alfie, I have to say it's been an absolute pleasure. Um, thanks for making your appearance on the podcast. Some some great, great content to talk about there over the years. And um, the last thing to say is, um, you know, I'm sure I can speak on behalf of a lot of people that have come through the club. Um, when I say thank you very much for, for all the hours, um, countless hours and energy and commitment that you've offered both on the pitch and indeed off it as, as a coach and a mentor. Um, and so, yeah. I, I think everybody would join me in, in congratulating you um, and thanking you for the continued work that you do. Cheers, mate. Thank you. Thanks a lot. Cheers, Alf. All the best. Bye now. Yeah.